Before we get started on today's episode, uh, don't you think we should let people know, Aaron, about our presence on social media? I, I absolutely think we should. I mean, we have a good presence there. And uh, thanks to you, some really good stuff on social media. So folks, you can find us if you just look for the Wayback Music Machine podcast, you will find us on both Facebook and uh, Instagram. We're not on Twitter yet because I have to be honest, I'm just not a Twitter fan, but look for us on uh, <laughs> Facebook and Instagram. So shall we start the show? Let's start. Maps? Check. Snacks? Double check. Tunes? Check. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Badgley. And we are cruising the rock and roll highway in our way back music machine. Are you ready, my friend? I sure am. I have the feeling this is going to be the start of a great adventure. Kind of a magical mystery tour. Somehow I knew you were going to say that. So, Tony, you know, usually we're very big on all the facts and try to talk about every aspect of a story, or at least as many as we can. The story we're going to talk about right now, I want to be very clear with everyone listening, is that we're not mentioning a certain person's name at all. I don't want to talk about him, his actions. I just, It's just not going to be mentioned. Are you it, cool with that? Oh, I'm 100% cool with that. I don't think we should give that guy the time of day. No. And, uh, you know, people can, everybody knows what happened on December 8th, 1980. So, uh, you know, if you don't, look it up but uh, we're not going to mention that part of things but uh, no I don't, I don't think he, you know uh, I don't believe in giving any kind of uh, credibility or credit or anything it just doesn't so I don't want to talk about him at all sounds good to me and excellent so, you know um, do you remember where you were when you heard the news so I do do you remember where you were well I remember uh, you know because I was 11 years old when it when it broke you gotta you gotta keep you gotta stop that (laughs) (laughs) Um, so my parents came in the room and told me i was at home i i was at work and um i used to work at a gas station hilltop texaco and that day john lennon had announced his world tour that he was going to launch the world tour and i was so excited to hear that he was going to tour with yoko and and the band I got home from work at 11 o'clock and a friend called me and said, turn on the news. And I did. And that's when I heard um, it was because I used to work till 11 o'clock. So it must have been 1115. And it was just all over at that point. And um, I still remember that vividly. And my mother, I have to tell you this very quickly. My mother had bought me Double Fantasy for Christmas. Oh, and she brought it out of her closet and said, I think you need this now. <laughs> I said, yeah, I think I do, Mom. So that was my memory of that whole night. It was an awful night. It's awful. one of those moments, you know, just like um, August 16th, 1977, Yeah, hearing the news about Elvis, and then, uh, you know, December 8th, 1980. These are days that for a certain generation of people, just everybody remembers, right? The world stopped all of a sudden. And yeah. um, I, you know, I also remember um, just the disbelief yeah. that everybody had. I, uh, it, it, what else can you say? It was just, it was shock, right? Cause John Lennon seemed to be actually on the rebound in terms of his personal and professional life. And he was getting his stuff together and he was a United States citizen. And what a shock. Well, 
I, yeah, I think it was he was getting his, his act together, and he produced a. I love Double Fantasy to this day. I think it's a brilliant album, um, and uh, everything seemed to be in order. And I remember the first time hearing "Starting Over" on the radio, and I didn't know it was coming out. And I was driving, and I heard it, and I thought, "Oh my gosh, this is classic Lennon," you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the shock too, Tony, is is you just assume people like John Lennon or Elvis are going to be around forever, or Michael Jackson or George Michael. You don't think of a time without them, and and it's been you know longer without him now than with him. Which is even freakier, right? Yeah, that is a. I, you're right because it's 2021, 41 years. Oh my goodness, 41 years. Yeah, uh, which is just shocking, shocking to me. But uh, did you hear? Did you hear to celebrate? Um, speaking of 40 years, but I'm I'm, gonna, I'm digressing for just a sec. This is also the 50th anniversary of Happy Christmas War is over. Did you hear what Yoko did this weekend? I did not. What did Yoko do? So she pressed up. 50 copies in uh, Abbey Road, hand-cut, beautiful 12-inch singles, donated them to record stores throughout England that they can auction off for their own charity. Oh, my goodness. That's uh, amazing. Yeah. I, 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 My wife would not let me go past $26, but right now the bidding's up to about 4,000 pounds. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm not surprised at all. But that's uh, what, a, what a gesture that is. Yeah. Yeah. So if you could give Andrea a call and say it's okay for me to bid five thousand pounds, you know. <laughs> That's right. Just <laughs> give me your credit card number. Exactly. I'll, I'll get that record for you. Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was it was it was a terrible. And do you remember the um, on the following Sunday they had the ten minutes of silence? I do. I do. Yeah, uh, at Central Park. And you know the the story broke, of course, on uh, Monday Night Football. Howard Cosell. Yep. And, uh, you know, I, well, I'm a, I'm a Howard Cosell fan, actually. Me uh, too. Me too. Just because of his relationship with Muhammad Ali, who's one of my idols. But, uh, I, yeah, you can hear on Howard's voice. I mean, he was in disbelief, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it um, I think it just shocked everybody. I, I don't think there's been a, uh, maybe, well, not until 9-11 did anything kind of come close because it was just so unexpected and so senseless and so you know someone dies of an overdose or they whatever is one thing but to go this way especially after years of campaigning for peace and and um oh it's just the whole thing is just awful you know yeah it certainly is and uh, Strawberry Fields, that area in Central Park now, I've been mm-hmm. there three, maybe four times, but uh, I think I told you that uh, I missed Yoko by about two or three minutes uh, one time. I know. Time. Can you imagine? Yeah. Would you have talked to her? Would you have been brave enough to talk to her? I don't know if I would have <laughs> or not, because there were quite a few people around, you know, so. Yeah. Well, a couple of years ago, on December 8th, my daughter, who lives in New York City, decided to go down to St. Um, Strawberry Fields on December the 8th. Uh, and there was about three or 400 people uh, there. And some guy had a guitar out, and they were singing songs. She ended up staying till about midnight. But she said uh, when, when the time of the incident happened, everyone just went quiet. Um, and you could see the Dakota... And it was, she said, it was very emotional to be there for that. So, and she wasn't around, obviously, obviously when, when uh, this happened. But it still had an impact on her. At twenty, well, at the time she was twenty-one, you know. 
Well, and, and just to see someone cut down in the prime of their life, right? Because mm. we're both well past 40 now. And uh, he... Well past 50 for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting there too, my friend. But uh, we, uh, you know, John was uh, had big plans. And uh, he was just coming back from the studio that night and uh, totally senseless. Yeah. So we, we kind of dedicate this show, I think, to John and, and his memory. And uh, it's sad because we just talked about losing George a couple of episodes ago. And it's just, it's I don't like to dwell on the, the, the loss, but we have to. You have to um, acknowledge it because it's a major, well, it's major, right? Well, and you know what? I think for as long as we're doing this show, I mean, we'll be talking about this every December 8th. We'll find a new angle for it uh, next year, but it is, uh, it's the one story that just dominates this week in rock and roll history. Well, it has to, and it's, um, yeah. Uh, and let me ask you a question. I, I know you're, you're younger than me, folks. They're better looking. But you were 11 years old. Do you remember the Double Fantasy album when it came out, or were you not really into it? Well, I remember seeing it when it came out, but I wasn't really buying many albums at that point yet. Mm. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I was well, aware. I was aware that he had come out with an album. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to put a, some of the songs of his on uh, our Spotify playlist, and I encourage people who are listening. It's a. It'll be a good playlist to kind of just get a good sense of who Lennon and the Beatles, because this episode. We're kind of focusing on a different... We're doing something different this week, aren't we, Tony? Well, that's right. We're doing all Beatles. So all three segments are Beatles. And uh, the week of December 8th here uh, is a really interesting chart, actually. So do you want to go over that? Yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting, too. And, and what I did was I did the top... I usually do top five singles, but I decided to do the top six. And you'll know why. Yeah. Uh, number six was John Lennon starting over. And it was number eight the previous week. And it was on its way to number one. Back then, you know, Tony, because the charts were based on radio play and record sales, records didn't just go in at number one like they do now. They used to climb up the charts slowly, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So John was climbing up the charts slowly but surely. Number five was a great song called uh, Master Blaster by Stevie Wonder. I don't hear that ever anymore. Do you know that? You know what? I don't either. The only time I ever hear that is when I'm watching uh, Stevie's live shows. But, uh, yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Number four is a song my wife loves. I've got to tell you, I'm not a fan of uh, Barbara Streisand, Woman in Love uh, with Barry Gibb. I'm going to side with you on this one. I'm not a fan <laughs> of that either. So. <laughs> I guess for sure I'm not going to be bidding on that record now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Queen was at number three with Another One Bites to Dust. Uh, Leo Sayer, More Than I Can Say, Whoa, Whoa. And... <laughs> Number one, Kenny Rogers with Lady. Remember that? I do remember that. Now, did you know that uh, Kenny Rogers uh, plays stand-up bass? And he, he can play jazz bass. Like, he is no. totally competent. I was, and I did not say incompetent, folks. I said totally competent. He is a, <laughs> or was, uh, a terrific stand-up bass player. I did not know that until just a few years ago. But uh, there is footage of him playing. I tell you, it it doesn't it doesn't overly surprise me. Do you remember his band? Well, you probably don't because you're as as we all know younger. But uh, <laughs> he had a band in the '60s called uh, the First Edition, and they did some mighty fine records. Man, they really good stuff. Like you know, just just came in to see what condition my condition was in. Love that. 
<laughs> and of course, Ruby, don't take your left to town. But I'd love to see. Do you, are there clips on face on YouTube of him playing stand up? There are. So I'll send you some. Yeah, I got to see that. That'd be cool. Yeah, very it was cool. uh, very interesting, and I had no idea. Like I said, you know, so it gives me a new appreciation for that guy. Hey, why not? Right? Because um, you know, I don't hate Kenny Rogers at all. Uh, but you know, didn't wasn't a big fan of Lady, but you know. Yeah, there you go. Now, should we move on to our next Beatles segment? What do you think if we uh, went to December the 6th, 1961? Uh, And we're going to go to Liverpool, right? Yeah, we're going to go to Liverpool. And this is an iconic Beatles moment. So should we check? I'm in. Let's check it out. Okay. Let's check it out. So here we are in Liverpool, one of our favorite cities, and it's December the 6th, 1961. And this is a, a fantastic Beatles moment because this is when John, Paul, George, and Pete Best, before Pete left the band, uh, met with Brian Epstein, and they were having further discussions about his proposal to manage them. So Epstein's proposal was that he wanted 25% of their gross fees each week, and his promise was that they would never again play for less than 15 pounds, which is a nice sum back in those days, mm-hmm. yeah, except for the cavern lunchtime sessions, and he said that he would double their fee and get 10 pounds each. Uh, and of course, Lennon, who was uh, the leader at that time of the group, uh, accepted. So that's a huge, huge moment in Beatles history, because... I think without Epstein, uh, maybe none of this would have happened, right? Well, and also Epstein or Epstein never, Brian Epstein never signed the contract, and he didn't sign it because he wanted to have an out for the Beatles. He he was that honorable to say, "Look, I won't sign this," and that way, if I don't keep my word, you guys are out of the contract. Which yeah. is you, you wouldn't hear that these days, would you? No, and in fact, I imagine that was pretty rare those days as well. Well, yeah, when you read Colonel Tom Parker, for example, but um, you said something earlier on, which I thought you were being very generous when PBS left the band. (laughs) (laughs) You were were being ever so kind. (laughs) Well, yes, and uh, you know, that story, of course, they were just desperately trying to get a record deal, and and it was felt that... uh, Pete just wasn't a good fit for the band. And they approached uh, Rory Storm and the Hurricanes and said, we want your drummer. We want Ringo. And Ringo took a chance and there's the missing piece, right? Now, did you, there is. And, and there's a, a famous picture of the Beatles just after Ringo joined. And I think they just signed to EMI and it was a publicity photo. And George has a black eye, which he got because of a fight defending Pete. Like people were like angry in Liverpool that they got rid of Pete Best. Angry. So they got this massive brawl in Harrison. There's. I, I, have you seen that photo? It, I have not really seen eye. that photo. No, oh, that's classic, a, classic. You know what? Let, let's uh, send me that photo and we'll share it in yeah. the uh, social media posts this week. I was sent. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's hilarious. Uh, and to just so everyone knows, I have nothing against Pete Best. In fact, I have a complete Pete Best solo record collection. Oh, there yep. you go. And you know what? I've got nothing against Pete Best either, but uh, there are times when those kind of decisions have to be made, and and obviously it was the right decision when you look at what Ringo, uh, what Ringo brought to the group, right? Well, it was the. It, I forget what show it was. 
But Paul McCartney was talking about having Ringo drum for them, and he said he turned around and went, "Yep, now we're complete." Like he, they, they just knew, right? So, well, and the other thing was that Ringo really was the only one at that time that that could have been considered a true professional gigging musician as well. Yeah, you know, I think. Well, that's a good point because he was on a salary with uh, Rory Storm and the Hurricanes, and uh, so. He was taking a chance with these boys, you know, and, and it sure worked out well, as we know. And, and and do you know the one condition the Beatles had for Ringo to join the Beatles? I'm not sure. Shave off his beard. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Makes sense, a, though. Yeah, He had a beard. He was like a hipster. <laughs> they said, no, sorry, got to shave the beard off. Can't be a Beatle with a beard. Oh, there you no. go. Ten years later, they all had beards, but yeah, at that time, no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great fact. <laughs> well, you know, so yeah, this was an, a monumental day, and I have to agree with you. I think that the the, the other missing piece besides Ringo was Epstein. Mm-hmm. I do. I think he really believed in the band, and uh, he got them to where they were, to where they got. Oh, abso- I mean, absolutely. Their, their talent as well, obviously, but you know. Yeah, but now I wonder, you know, without the, let's just play the what if game for okay. a second here. If Epstein or Epstein, I'm not sure if we're pronouncing Epstein. Epstein. I, yeah, I have Epstein. always said Epstein as well. But uh, yeah. if Epstein hadn't approached them, do you think the band would have broken up? I mean, they were getting pretty frustrated. Well, I've never thought of that question. I I think so. I think they would have eventually packed it in because if they weren't getting anywhere they were they were probably getting frustrated and uh, yeah i think that's a that's a really good question tony what do you think i i think they would have broken up i mean i can see them moving on to other projects with other people perhaps but uh, i know they were awfully close a few times to just saying you know what we need day jobs here and and uh well certainly when they came back from hamburg um when George was sent back and then Paul and Pete got arrested that, at that point, they were very close to breaking up. So yeah, I think you're right. I think they would have drifted. I think they would have always done music. Um, but I think it would have been under different circumstances. Now, what did you pick for the charts this week? Cause 61 would have been a really interesting chart, some rock and roll on there for sure, but also I'm sure some show music or something. Well, I thought I'd go and do the England, the UK top five. And, and I'll tell you why I did that, Tony, because you may or may not remember that Brian Epstein owned, well, his parents owned a store and he was given the record department to manage. And he was one of the people that they used to um, poll to compile the charts in England. So in 1961, he was pretty major player for North of England, the northern part of England in terms of, of uh, record stores. So here we go. Top five. Adam Faith, the time has come. Adam Faith never really made it over here, but um, he had a great voice, very powerful, and he had a career well into the 80s in England, but um, not over here. Number four, Frankie Vaughn, the Tower or Tower of Strength. Number three, one of the songs that the Beatles used to cover at the Cavern, uh, Bobby V's Take Good Care of My Baby. Oh, great song. It is. And you know how Bobby V got his start, right? No. He filled in for Buddy Holly after the uh, plane crash with the crickets. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's how he got his start. Terrible way to start, but... And number one, 
I don't know if you like this guy or not. I'm pretty sure you don't. A guy named Elvis Presley. Uh, <laughs> with uh, a double A side. His latest, his latest flame and little sister. And, you know, I, we were remarking actually last night when we were chatting because we actually chat, as people know, we chat every day. Yeah, we do. And um, there's a cool coincidence in these charts. So, folks, just pay attention to the charts that Aaron is announcing, especially the number ones, because there's a really, really interesting, <laughs> weird. weird kind of spooky connection that we're going to make. But uh, Elvis Presley was number one. And, uh, yeah, uh, so keep that in mind, folks. Now, what do you say? We're going to stay on uh, December 6th, but we're going to head to... 1966 and i think we're gonna uh, talk some pirate radio so we're gonna gonna put on some uh (laughs) some little commercials from the pirate radio area we'll be right back welcome back my friends to the show that never ends we're so glad you could attend come inside come inside So in England, they only had the BBC for radio, Tony, as you know. So some very enterprising young people uh, started doing pirate stations, which they would broadcast literally on ships anchored off the British coastline, but without, with like further on the distance of the boundaries. So they weren't part of England. And these were called pirate radio stations. And the two most famous were Radio Caroline, which is still going today, folks, and Radio London. Uh, and at this date, in 1966, the Beatles did something kind of cool, didn't they, Tony? Well, they absolutely did. And the the whole history of pirate radio, I find that fascinating, the way that yeah, they, me too. You know, that they were able to skirt the uh, BBC monopoly a little bit. And they, uh, before I give away the cool thing that the Beatles did, but pirate radio had a lot of listeners. They had a really big listenership. And these DJs, uh, they were... They would come to the ship on a boat from the shore. The DJ would would uh, arrive by a little boat and uh, do their set, you know, and they were treated like celebrities, these guys. Because they were. Yeah. I mean, these guys were absolutely... Hey, Tony, do you see where they... Did you see where um, Radio Caroline got its name? Uh, let me just take a look here and, and let's see, because I think you mentioned that. Oh, it was named after Caroline Kennedy pretty cool eh? that is very very cool but yeah these guys were celebrities and uh pirate radio certainly uh took a big bite out of uh the bbc and so the bbc was not happy about that but uh yeah the beatles they decided and this is very cool they decided to record some christmas and new year's greetings uh, for those very same pirate radio stations uh radio caroline and radio london and uh so the Beatles fully understood uh, the role that these pirate stations were playing because, I mean, it was very, very tough with the way the BBC was so controlling over the airwaves. Well, and it's interesting that in 1966, the same year, that summer, when the Beatles toured the U.S., um, you know, this was during the more popular than Jesus comment and all that kind of stuff, they let uh, journalists from the, the pirate stations accompany them, not from the BBC, 
Kenny, Le- Kenny Everett, who's a brilliant comedian from Liverpool, from Radio London, and uh, Radio Caroline's Jerry Layton. They, they both accompanied um, the Beatles on the tour. And it was, it was a major thing to have these guys with them. But funnily enough, um, the UK post office, the country's monopoly telephone service provider, had cut ship-to-shore communication. So Kenny Everett had to call a number on the landline, and they would bring this stuff over to the ship. Yeah, it's incredible. And uh, eventually, of course, most of these pirate radio stations uh, were forced to close down through legislation because they were uh, going to face massive, massive fines. Uh, but some of them held on a little while afterwards. But most of them, you know, when, when it was the date, they went till 1159 and then they signed off. And that must have been bittersweet. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's a sad story, right? But it's like anything else, Tony. It's it just it 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 was a necessary at the time, don't you think? Like because it was it had to compete with the BBC. Well, absolutely. Now you know you just reminded me of one of my favorite stories. Do you remember when we covered that story of the guy who put up the antenna on his own and had to, and was playing the uh, I can't remember what episode that's from now, but he made oh. his own radio station basically because he said ev- everything that they're playing now is terrible so he was playing classic rock hits (laughs) didn't he do that in the backyard or something yes he put up a a tower in his backyard which is just a fantastic Uh, story i love that story it's it still makes me laugh every time i think about it because i just thought this i want him as a neighbor well that's right but uh the pirate radio station era was uh, fascinating i encourage anybody who's interested in that to you know watch some documentaries or or do some reading about it there are also some great podcasts about that it is so fascinating that's actually a movie too um oh that's right it was called pirate radio right i think it was it yeah. was called pirate radio Good movie. So, i remember that yeah not a bad film so there's a, there's a few choices there to go to. Yep. Well, that's right. So what did you pick, Aaron, for the charts this week? Well, I stayed in the UK. I thought, why not? Because we're talking about UK. And uh, I thought the ch- number, the, this is where the weirdness starts, folks. Yeah. Uh, number five was Manford Man with a song called Semi-Detached Suburban Mr. James. What a great title. I lo- Isn't that a great <laughs> title? I love that title. Uh, number four is Val Dunican, Fine Irishman with What Would I Be? Number three, Spencer Davis Group with a very, and I mean very young Stevie Winwood with Give Me Some Lovin'. He was just a teenager at that time. I think he was 15, wasn't he? I think so, yep. 13, I mean 14, 15, really young. My favorite Beach Boys song of all time at number two, Good Vibrations. And number one, Tom Jones, Green, Green, Grass of Home. And uh, we've been telling you, folks, pay attention to the number ones. So we had Elvis <laughs> the last time and Tom Jones here. And we're going to uh, introduce, well, not introduce because it's three episodes old now, but we have a segment called From Memphis to Merseyside. And we're going to talk about the connection between these two guys and the Beatles. So are you ready to hop back to the present? I'm always ready, but can we just, I wouldn't mind some fish and chips now. You know what? Me too. We uh, we Excellent. should do that every time we come over to England. So I I think so. I think so. Yes. All right. Let's go back to the future. So here we are back in the present. But before we do the from Memphis to Merseyside moment, 
You know, we got a quote on social media from one of our fans and a good friend of ours, Bernard Fraser. And I love this quote, so I'm going to be using this a lot. Here's what Bernard said. He said, if you've missed an episode, the link takes you to their home base where you can check out all past 33 shows. It's kind of a 33-episode rock and roll history lesson with the teachers you wished you'd had in high school. That's fantastic. So, Bernard, thanks for that. Yeah, thanks, Bernard. That's great. And uh, I guess uh, he's getting our fan shout out today. Then, so he is. He yes, is. and and he's a his very talented group, Church of Trees, will be putting a new album out in the new year. And I have a feeling, a sneaking suspicion, that you and I are going to be involved in that. I think maybe. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> so stay tuned, folks. So let's talk about the Memphis to Merseyside uh, moment. So last night I I pointed this out to you, and you were like. Yeah, you're right. It is a I weird didn't, coincidence. I, I swear I didn't do it intentionally. I did not. Yeah, it's a neat connection. So this, we figured, must have been January 1970. So it is not this week in rock and roll history, but it's kind of, you know, within Close the enough. month. Close enough. Close enough. That's right. Um, Tom Jones and Elvis Presley were both, uh, they had residencies in Las Vegas at that time. And yep. Elvis and Tom, you know, were were chewing the fat uh when they were both finished their shows and uh, elvis uh, said to tom you know i heard the the beatles broke up i just heard the news and they were chatting about that and um elvis had said he didn't know why they were breaking up but uh, that it was huge news but it was what he said to tom after that which was <laughs> why don't you tell uh, everyone what he said <laughs> Well, what he what he the huge news was that he was hoping that the Fab Four would become their backup band and do a show together. No Beatles songs; they would just do Elvis and Tom Jones. <laughs> oh my gosh, Tom Jones tunes, and I love Elvis. But Elvis, what are you thinking, buddy? <laughs> yeah, and uh, now you know, Tom. Uh, I listened to the interview where Tom Jones said that. And oh, did uh, you really? Yeah, I did. Uh, I'll oh, send, cool. I'll send it to you. Um, he was saying, though, that Elvis was laughing the whole time he said that, so I don't think oh, he was okay. serious. But there's the connection, folks, right? Number one in uh, 61 was Elvis, and in 66, number one was Tom Jones, and we're doing a Beatles episode, so that's a very cool coincidence. I honestly, Tony, I would love to say I planned that out, but I didn't. It was just, it, was just, it all kind of came together, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So there was another uh, very weird uh, moment in Tom Jones's interview. So he was talking about Eric Clapton, of course, who's got a, a Beatles connection from his work on okay. While My Guitar Gently Weeps. But uh, he was saying that Tom Jones had been chatting with Clapton and wanted Clapton to be his guitar player. And Clapton had said, well, you know, if this cream thing doesn't work out, then I'll, <laughs> then I'm there. I'm your guy. So if cream had a flopped, uh, Clapton would have been playing guitar for Tom Jones. How about that? Can you picture old slow hand playing green, green grass at home? I can't. I just can't. Uh, no, but uh, go figure, eh? What a, it was a, a fabulous interview. Yeah, I'll send you the link for that. Yeah, please do. I'd like to. That's that's a, But it's it's all about the um, the what ifs, eh? Isn't oh, it? Absolutely. Just crazy. And you know, we're coming to the end here, but you know what I'm happiest about, Aaron, with today's Hmm. show is that we managed to put uh, what I think is a pretty positive and fairly lighthearted spin on a tragic event. Yeah, and that's important to both of us. 
Yep, and when we do this uh, week next year again and we're talking about John, uh, we'll do the same thing because uh, I do enjoy taking a lighthearted look at the week that was because rock and roll is was never really designed to be all that serious in the first place, right? Damn straight. Damn straight. So, folks, thank you very much for allowing us into your headphones and uh, <laughs> rock on, as they say, and we will see you again soon. And Aaron, we're pulling up to your place here. So have a great week, my friend. I will. And I look forward to chatting with you tomorrow. And we'll see you next week. Sounds great. See you soon. Music for today's episode of the Wayback Music Machine podcast was written by Rick Deneen. The show notes, chart selection, and Spotify playlist were created by Aaron Badgley. And the artwork, recording, editing, and sound production was done by Tony Stewart. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to tell a friend or two. And don't forget to click follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast player to get the latest episodes automatically. And we'd love it if you would leave us a review. You can also engage with the show by going on our website and leaving us a voicemail. We may even play your voicemail on an upcoming episode. Thanks for taking this road trip with us, and we'll see you next time on the Wayback Music Machine Podcast. Hey! Turn the radio up. I love this song. The Wayback Music Machine podcast is a Stewie Tunes production. It's not just business, it's personal. And Signature Theater's new musical, No Place to Go. When dedicated employee George discovers his company is relocating to Mars, he must decide whether to go and uproot his family's life or embark on an unknown venture. Featuring DC star Bobby Smith, No Place to Go is an irreverent and humorous musical with an enterprising twist. Now playing at Signature Theater through October 16th. Get your tickets at sigtheater.org.